Welcome to the Fear Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent for business. Uh, we are joined by our all-star cast. Uh, John Easton is the E. Adam Belmar is the B. And as you know, I'm John Fury, the F. And here on the Fear Theory Podcast, we talk about politics. One thing I want, do want to talk about, Adam, is that thing that we had on our deck last week. What was that thing called again? It's a gazebo, John. It's a gazebo. Where's your tie? I don't know. What happened to my Wait, tie? I got my tie. So if you want to sip some rosé on our deck or maybe a beer, we had a friend come over. You could have Coors Light and uh, bourbon on the rocks, too, if you'd like. Uh, did we have a phone call? We had a phone call. There was somebody calling into the show. Unfortunately, we couldn't take it. We're going to continue. They, they, the didn't, they didn't like the rosé. If, if you want to contact us, contact us through our Facebook page. Please don't call us during the podcast because it's a little bit of a distraction for everybody, don't you think? It is. You are correct. And also at EFB, we also have some award-winning game consoles. We do. Uh, you know, EFB stands for excellent for business it also stands for excellent for babysitting <laughs> if the kids need to come around here during the summer months we've got xbox and i know people are excited it's the one year anniversary of Fortnite. Fortnite gets played here often we also have the wii the furies put the wii up uh, uh, johnny so what's your favorite wii game i i don't play wii you don't play wii I, you don't play wii I'm sports sorry. you never did that I'm sorry i read so, um, so that's really sad. For I've you. met your kids, so I, I know that's true. They, they're, <laughs> they're readers. They're readers. I'm kidding. I'm they're, they're readers. I will say that Molly is becoming an expert in the Wii games. She likes the Wii golf, uh, but I don't think anyone really wants to take you on in Wii bowling. No, I'm. Uh, I. You know what? I'll just come out and say it. I'm a badass when it comes to Wii bowling, and I'll, I'll take all comers. Bring it. So we are going to bring it, but we're going to bring it. On our Facebook page, if you want to contact us, want to be in the audience, want to be on our deck, want to play Wii Bowling with Adam Belmar, let us know on the Facebook page, which brings me to the first theory, theory one, face plant. Facebook shares dove 24% over the night uh, as Facebook revenues did not meet expectations. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Facebook because from my perspective, it's a great platform. I love Facebook. I share a lot of – I overly share on Facebook. You're not a big sharer on Facebook, John Easton, but we do a lot of business through EFB. Adam, talk us through because you are our social media guru. Is, is working with Facebook getting more difficult or how does this all work? You know what? It is. Um, they are implementing a whole lot of changes and oftentimes with Facebook, the changes that they implement – are rolled out in real time without a lot of uh, foreknowledge of people who utilize it. And when I say utilize it, John, I mean people who utilize it for business the way that we do. It's an advertising platform. It's a great way to connect with people, with lawmakers, with constituents, and the ability to target. But since the hearings and since 2016, they've now instituted a new situation where any content that's advertised that is even remotely political has to be tagged as such, and has to come from an account that is fully authorized, and that goes way beyond any type of actual knowledge of who is doing this than they ever had before. And all of that is leading to a lot of problems for people who use it, including us, including me. We've surmounted them. We've worked with Facebook, but it's tough. And the dynamic landscape of how you use Facebook is changing. Yeah, I think that's hard. And John Easton, 
you you're not a big Facebook person, is that right? You're, are you? On? Well, be, we are here, and uh, we incorporate it into you a can, lot he, of our. You can find Easton on Facebook, except he's not on Facebook. <laughs> we incorporate Facebook strategies into a lot of what we do here. I I, I believe in it uh, wholeheartedly as a as a platform for for which to advertise and advocacy and and lots of other things. Am I personally on it, and uh, am I oversharing now? But uh, I I think that. I don't think we should be too surprised by what's happening with Facebook right now. If you just take uh, the new privacy laws in Europe alone, I think that was obviously an obstacle for them to, to overcome. But this is something that the growth of Facebook has been so spectacular over the last few years uh, that how can you really sustain that? So the question is, are the glory days over you know, you've got this data harvesting scandal that they've had to deal with, um, and, and now you've got Europe. And, and the users, daily users in Europe and, and the United States in the last quarter fell by 3 million. I know that's not huge for Facebook, but that could be a trend. And then in yesterday's phone call, the investor's phone call, they reported that not only are they taking a lot, not a lot, they're slowing growth in quarter two, but it's, they're expecting the same in quarter three and quarter four. So then the next question is sort of that the newer generations, are they going to embrace Facebook the way the current generations have because that is their fuel? You know, it's interesting, Adam. Um, I know you want to weigh in on this. Uh, Facebook is really kind of for middle-aged people like me. It's Younger kids don't use Facebook. But the, Facebook is involved in all kinds of other properties that they're making a lot of money. Um, that, that's exactly right. And uh, you're right. Our kids are not really on Facebook. They are on a lot of other properties. Um, Snapchat is one of them. There are others. Instagram, which is a Facebook property, is still wildly popular. And to your point about the the downturn in daily users, <clears throat> John, John, how, do you know how many people are on the planet Earth? Uh, there's six billion people. I think about planet. eight billion. Oh, people on the planet. Close, Earth. close. That was pretty close. Okay, <laughs> two billion. <off. laughs> About 25%, 2.5 billion people every day on this planet engage with a Facebook property. So when you put it in the context of how wide the reach is from WhatsApp to Instagram to Facebook, both as a user-driven and as an advertiser, business-driven platform, I think this is a time to buy that stock. I think they're retrenching, making the necessary changes that they have to do to comply both with uh, you know what's proper uh, as it gets defined of what they are, whether they're a broadcast or they're just a portal. I think this is actually a really good thing. They're taking their their sort of they're taking draws. their lumps. They're taking their lumps right, right now, but they plan on growing and, and succeeding in the future. This is what this is all about right now. So when I first bought Facebook stock, it was like twenty, and everyone thought it was going to go out of business. And now it's you know two hundred or maybe a little bit now twenty four twenty four percent minus. What's twenty four percent less of two hundred and twenty where it was? So anyway, where it is now? I think it's like one eighty. But remember, John Easton, um, when Mark Zuckerberg came to Congress to testify, and it was the, the stock was at like one eighty, one seventy five, and then it dropped a lot. And but that before the the testimony, then after the testimony, it skyrocketed because I thought Zuckerberg did actually a pretty good job before Congress. Well, that's because they didn't understand him. <laughs> right. So well, that's part of kind of got through it. I completely agree. And, you know, the Wall Street public companies, they're always playing for the next quarter for the earnings report. They have faltered a bit on earnings. That does not mean that their fundamentals are bad. And while I think that uh, it's a good yeah, time to buy. Yeah. My, my, this was a question was to John Easton. I'm going to interrupt you oh, because good. we like interruptions, but I want to say to the congressional stuff because you also mentioned Europe. 
The political. Let's just talk a second about the political headwinds before we get to Adam's brilliant analysis. Political headwinds against Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think that the political headwinds uh, facing uh, Facebook and Google and all the American companies, not only in Europe but also in the United States. Yeah, I, I do think that there is a uh, the, part of the headwinds, if you will, are kind of part of that partisan divide, and I think that you have uh, they're becoming kind of part of that evil access. Uh, uh, axis uh, on on the left, and is that always true? Probably not, but that's the impression, right? You got right. Google, you have Facebook, and you have Amazon, and and they're led by those who align themselves with with the left, and therefore, you know, you've got that tension. And I think that, and if you just read a lot of what people are saying about Facebook, and that the platform itself may not be evil, but many of its users can be, and then the way that that their data gets harvested for evil purposes also exists. So there's a lot that Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg, they can't control in terms – and that's, I think, that a, a big wild card here is it's not necessarily that the platform is ingenious, but the, but the billions of users that Adam is talking about, that could be their undoing one day. Well, it's interesting. You think about broadcasters. Broadcasters can control who's on their broadcasts. Uh, Facebook, Adam Belmar, has a little bit more of a difficult time doing that because uh, – Everything is political these days. And so when Facebook – Mark Zuckerberg ran into a little problem saying he hates Holocaust deniers, but he basically said, you know, they have a right to say what they want to say even though they're, they're idiots. Um, but that got him in trouble. And I think that this is the stuff that's difficult for a, politi- uh, a big company like Facebook. How do you determine what's political and what's not? And this goes to your point, right? Well, they, they have uh – They've overbroadly defined what's political. So we have a sense, at least as an advertiser, of you know what touches on on political and therefore has to be marked as such. You know, I, I when we use the word evil, I get worried. I mean, I think ISIS is evil, and um, I don't know that people who are nefariously trying to harvest data are. Uh, evil, um, but at the same time, they represent a threat to people. But ISIS privacy. uses Facebook. <clears throat> it's a, it, it, it is in, in Washington D.C. We often talk about how laws haven't kept pace with the times and industry, and we are in a place here where people hardly understand on the Hill what is truly uh, at the heart of Facebook. Is it a broadcaster? Is it just a portal? How do we regulate it? All of these questions require thoughts, comments, more questions. And, you know, to the extent that uh, Zuckerberg took some heat for his comments about Holocaust deniers, uh, I think I understand where he's coming from. And, you know, it's a dialogue. It's going to take some time. And there's a lot of work to do in Washington to figure out how we, it does. How we deal with this. You know, it's, fun. it's interesting because you have this broad sense of the free market working itself out versus, you know, you need to regulate content. Uh, you know, John Eason – who, who do you think the biggest advertiser on Facebook is? <laughs> I'll answer the question. Know. It's Donald J. Trump. Yeah. And it's Donald J. Trump who uh, was – last week he was the biggest he, – he's the guy who um, – his campaign buys more ads on Facebook than any other campaign. Um, and his digital director is uh, – or his campaign manager is, is Brad Parscale, who's a guru when it comes to Facebook. So I think – you know, and that's – and the right is actually – you talk about the left hitting uh, Facebook – the right is hitting Facebook because of the, they have this deep suspicion that a bunch of people, liberals, are manipulating the 
the algorithm so that no conservatives can show up on your feed. And this is these are real concerns. Um, so I think it's very interesting. Uh, and to Adam, to your point, this is going to be a huge – getting to consensus on this is almost impossible. Well, I, I think that, that we will get there. Uh, it's going to take time. Uh, it, it's a very deliberative process, and we're nowhere near it, just as just as we're not really that close on the opioid epidemic and, and what we need to do legislatively there. I would ask you to clarify on this uh, Donald Trump advertising there. Are we talking about going backwards or currently? Because, currently. And, and what's your source for that? It was in the news. It was in the news uh, last week. He's, he, the, 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 on Facebook. The, the, the Trump campaign is the biggest buyer of ads on Facebook. And which I think is fascinating. I need to look into that. I, I'm, I'm suspicious about that. <laughs> it's it's not fake news. It's real news. Uh, it was well, I say that because consumer product advertisers um, who spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year across all platforms are very heavily leveraged into into. Uh, well, maybe this is political spending. Yeah, maybe. But uh, it is. It was announced okay. as the biggest purchaser of ads on on Facebook. Uh, so let's get out of this, John Easton. Uh, give me your prediction. Uh, within four years, will legislation passed to regulate Facebook, yes or no? Legislation will, will pass, but not to strictly regulate Facebook. It'll be some sort of a half measure that will be obsolete by the time it probably becomes law. Uh, what do you think, Adam? I, I think that there will be something. It, it won't be just at Facebook. It'll be a broad brush uh, for those type of companies and portals. And while it may not be a half measure, it will hopefully at least be a good first step in the right direction. I think something will pass Europe. Uh, I don't think anything will pass the United States, uh, and I think it's going to cause some tension between the Europe and the United States. Uh, theory two, impeach me. There are two different storylines on impeachment. One is uh, the House Republicans deciding that they want to introduce articles of impeachment of Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, um, and then there's the campaign theme of Democrats saying they want to impeach Donald J. Trump if they get elected to Congress next year. Uh, John Easton, I'm going to throw this out there. Which one is more politically catastrophic, impeaching Rod Rosenstein or promising to impeach Donald J. Trump? Well, any time that you, you bring in the president of the United States, I think that that is the big kahuna. That is the uh, most impactful political um, – consequence that you're going to have one way or the other. So say the Democrats are, are out there on the campaign trail uh, promising to impeach Donald Trump, or if they take over the House uh, actually doing it, I think that that is an enormous political um, time bomb, you know, really. And and if, as we've talked about on the on the podcast here before, I, you know, we don't believe that that is a, an effective strategy for the Democrats. They may not have a choice given the energy of the left and, and where you know, the, what the demands are. But I just think that uh, Rod Rosenstein is not a household name. Uh, uh, Jim Jordan led the, uh, the House conservative group yesterday saying uh, with the impeachment bill, resolution of Rod Rosenstein, and said uh, that he's tired of, of the Department of Justice giving them the finger. <laughs> and he said the American people are tired of it. I'm not so sure of that because I'm not sure the American people know who Rod Rosenstein is. I think that Washington, D.C. knows who Rod Rosenstein is. And, and I, I take it a step further. Uh, while I think they have a point about not receiving the documents that they want, 
in a timely fashion or at all. I think that's legit to an extent. I do think that the that Americans, just your average American, does have faith in the Department of Justice, a healthy faith. And when Rod Rosenstein came into this job, I think his his reputation was sterling. And I just don't see him as a nefarious actor in this. And I, I just think if he gets removed, it is a real problem for not just for, for Republicans in general, but for the system. Adam, let me ask you this question to start off. Is it Rod Rosenstein or Rod Rosenstein? Because I, I think I think it's it could go either way. Which one is it? I think it's Rosenstein, um, based on what I've heard. And I don't Mueller? know. Mueller? I don't know. I, I don't know the man. <clears throat> you know, I have a very skeptical perspective about impeachment in general, having uh, sat in the Senate chamber to watch the trial of President Clinton, covered it, and it ended up being very much like stop or we'll say stop again. He got impeached and he wasn't removed. And it was a big political brouhaha. Um, but the reality is even if we brought this forward through the house and into the senate for some sort of trial i don't know what the outcome would ultimately be with regard to rosenstein i think the political pressure alone would probably force uh the president uh to do something or rosenstein himself to step down but i i see the whole thing as being just a uh, made-up fracas so let me ask you this question uh, expanding the the Focus here, uh, widening the focus maybe is what I want to say. Um, so we have these Michael Cohen tapes, um, which you know are fascinating. Why would a uh, lawyer for a person tape everything? I mean, is that isn't that illegal? I, I think let's not confuse Michael Cohen with your traditional lawyer. This is this is this guy's a doofus. This, this guy is uh, what, 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 he he was Trump's. Fixer. Fixer. Thank you. That's such a perfect word for him. He's not, fixing, what, he's not fixing anything. Yeah, I know. But, but when you think of a fixer, right. do you think of, of an attorney who's, who's got a great reputation, who is above board on everything and, and, and adheres to all of the principles of law and, and, and law practice? I don't. This actually jives with a fixer. Yeah, no, I, I, I think of some movies like Michael Clayton or right. the Lincoln lawyer. Or George Clooney. <laughs> exactly. Um, look, he was taping things to cover his own ass. He knew that some of this stuff probably was going to be worth something to him. And I, I, I also think that he probably never even anticipated that holding on to these digital files, they'd be discovered by the FBI. So he was taping them on his iPhone? I don't know how he did it. I don't either. I don't know how he did it. I know how I do it when I do it. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, let's talk about impeachment a little bit more with with, uh, President Trump. Um, You know, I remember, and I agree with you, John, that usually impeachment doesn't work out well. Uh, For example, I remember when we the House representatives impeached and the Senate convicted uh, Congressman or Judge Alcee Hastings. Now he's a member of Congress, so you know the American people really thought that was in his district thought that was a worthwhile exercise. Uh, although Alcee is a great guy, I've gone on trips with him. I've gambled with him. He's a great guy. Probably shouldn't be a judge, but you know whatever. He's a fine member, uh, representative of the people that he represents. Um, and then we have the impeachment of William Jefferson Clinton. You know there was a, a whole that was initially about Whitewater, right? And, and then it turned into the McDougals and uh, some sort of sex scandal. Now Monica Lewinsky, and then ultimately he got impeached because he lied to. Uh, Congress and the American people about having sex with an intern. Um, 
it wasn't actually about having sex with an intern. It's about lying. About lying. And, and obstruction so, of justice. I and, think. and now where we're going here is this whole idea of Russian collusion is morphing into um, having sex with a woman named McDougal. So that's a connection. Um, and uh, apparently campaign finance, he's trying to muffle, um, you know, for the campaign reasons and because he doesn't want to get killed by Melania. Um, he's trying to pay off this woman so that she wouldn't divulge uh, that they were he was having sex with her. So there's Stormy Daniels. There's also this woman named McDougal. So why do all these kind of special counsels end up into involved in some sort of sex scandal? And that's what they have. It just seems like it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I, I, I get it. I think that you could make the argument, oh, it always just goes down the path of the most salacious topic that they can find. But it actually, if you think about it and, and peel off another layer, it's about covering up having sex with somebody you shouldn't have. Right. It, and, and as Sarah Sanders has said from the podium, you know, the president maintains that he did nothing wrong. So that's kind of the late, that's what I, that's the line, which actually I think is pretty broad and fairly safe ground. You're not, you're not, you're not explaining anything specifically. He didn't do anything wrong, right, with the law. So I think that paying off the, the National Enquirer, or paying off Stormy Daniels, or paying off uh, McDougal, I mean, that, that's where the issue is, 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 is sort of covering up your action. But he so did, that, he, he and, did and, that. And it oftentimes has to do with sex. Look at Bill Clinton. He was, he was lying to cover up the fact that he did this because I'm sure he didn't want that out. And it was embarrassing. You had Hillary. And... So, but Trump was doing this as a private citizen. Clinton was doing it while he was president of the United States. And, of course, you know, uh, we have a building named after Jack Kennedy, the Kennedy Center. I mean, that guy was getting a lot of action as president. I mean, uh, so my, my, my point is, is that, you know, I, and this is the other theory I have, that Bill Clinton and Donald Trump are basically the same human being. Except, you know, they, I mean, they're centrist by and large. They're hated by the political party of the opposition, and they're getting in trouble for having sex. But, but don't you think that, that the American electorate, by and large, Gave Clinton a pass on on. I mean, he came back after right. because they didn't think this was serious enough. For, I thought I thought at the time, right? And then and now this. If 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 the the American electric were holding these these sexual escapades against Donald Trump, he wouldn't be president, right? Because it was, it was pretty, the, pretty well known. Yeah, the Hollywood access tapes or whatever the video. Um, so. I think it's actually playing out in, in a way a bit the same. Right. It's it's these guys don't want to get caught, and so <laughs> they cover it up, they and go, that is their legal issue. They go, they go ahead. No, yeah, you know the mantra is it's never the crime, it's the cover up, yeah. and we're seeing it play out. Human nature being what it is, uh, it was no no secret that Governor uh, Clinton and uh, the Donald are hound dogs, and that they've uh, been around the block a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just think all of this is superfluous. It doesn't uh, have any real tie-in to Russia or collusion, although some of the same players were involved in that part of the script as well. It would appear, Cohen being the, the key one, I don't know what to make of it. There's so much more going on that really interests me than, you know, the fidelity or lack thereof of Donald Trump and his marriage. Well, and I agree completely on that. Uh, I just think that the Democrats are trying to do anything they can to delegitimize this president. And 
when Russia doesn't work, they're trying to figure something else out, and now we come up with Michael Cohen. It's like I think the American people are not going to vote on, you know, Trump's kind of infidelities or the fact that he's kind of a you know dirtbag. They're they're going to vote on the economy by and large. Now some people are, are going to vote because they hate Trump, but they hate Republicans. They they would have hated Ted Cruz as, as much. So uh, we'll just finish this up. Do you think that either Rod Rosenstein or Donald J. Trump will be impeached? No. No. Uh, the answer is no. Um, theory three. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I love tariffs in the morning. It's the smell of victory. Um, <laughs> Breathe. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, that's my best Robert Duvall. That's, but it's not bad. It's not bad. It's the best I can. Robert Duvall. You smell movie. that? You smell that? It's the smell of victory. So we had some smell of tariffs. It's really panicked everybody, John Easton, in Washington. I go to... Some fundraisers, I meet with a lot of different political folks, and the only thing people talk about is how much they hate these tariffs. You know who loves these tariffs or loved these tariffs was Donald J. Trump. And then yesterday he had a meeting with the president of the EU. There's no more tariffs. Where are we in the tariff debate? <laughs> We're probably exactly where Donald J. Trump wants us to be in the, in <laughs> Good the tariff answer. debate. I think that – I don't know if President Trump loves – Tariffs. I think he loves the leverage of tariffs. Bing, 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 bing. I do, and 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 let's let's just take a step back to to his campaign. I mean, I know that everybody knows this, but it but it bears repeating. This was a major campaign promise of it Donald was. Trump's. And if there's one thing that that every everyone of any political stripe will concede is that this guy really does everything in his power to keep promises from from 2016 and. I think it also, though, goes to a style of governing that we haven't seen, at least in in my lifetime. I haven't seen a e- guy e- go, ever, a pro- yeah, ever. Well, right for me, that's ever uh, <laughs> to see a president go to the brink like this, uh, to the political brink. And when you have these tariffs, you have farmers yelling at you. You have uh, these leaders of of business. I mean, titans of business. As well as just you know constituents within uh, agricultural communities just frothing, saying this is going to kill us. That is an enormous amount of pressure that I don't think most politicians, if any, that I can think of could withstand. He withstands it. He goes to the brink, and typically he will pull back into some some other front, like, like he did with the EU, uh, the president of the EU Commission, and said um, and said, yeah, we'll. We're going to deal, and we're going to have these. De- I mean, Europe is ecstatic right now. Uh, this morning, the, the reports out of Europe are, you know, from whether it's German leaders and French leaders, they're pretty ecstatic about this. And, and if this gets done, I mean, this is why the Trump voter, the sort of forgotten American, uh, loves this guy. He loves his style because he feel they feel like he is taking it to the man. Taking it to the man. Um, Adam Belmar, you know, I love to hear about all these – these farmers who really love the free market and free trade and all that other stuff. We're passing a farm bill that is just a chock full of all kinds of subsidies for the farming community. Uh, there was this kind of complaining about how the farmers are going to, you know, get trade assistance authority because of, the, you know, basically welfare for dealing with these tariffs. You know who gets trade assistance authority? All the steel workers, mm-hmm. right? So um, there's just a lot of hypocrisy going on here. And, you know, the, yeah, John, this Europe is really excited about these lack of tariffs. You know what they're not going to be excited about? The French. The French protect their own agriculture interests mm-hmm. 
big time. The U.S. protects their agricultural interests. Um, the Canadians. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think that trade I, – I love what Trump is doing here. And uh, I love the reaction of Washington, which, you know, all hell is breaking loose because of he's putting some tariffs on. Well, yeah, he <clears> – I think we've said this before, and he's proven it. You know, he's constantly willing to shoot the hostage. Um, there's going to be pain on both sides. It's within his power. It certainly was a promise that he made. And he's inflicting pain. And ultimately, it's a very sort of uh, if you're not with us, you're against us. And uh, he's forcing everybody to come back to the table and uh, either, as he would say, renegotiate. And uh, it's one way to get things done. Are there going to be other ramifications from having taken this path? Maybe. Maybe. Um, But I think he's going to be ultimately successful in a lot of this, and we're seeing that. And uh, it's a wait and see. It's, you know, put your chin strap on, baby. The roller coaster's going. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Yeah, and that's the the thing about trade i don't i don't fancy myself as a trade expert but you know it's every action usually creates a equal and opposite reaction i mean think about all the of the places that we have massive interests you know you've got you've got canada and mexico you have europe and of course china exports 500 billion dollars annually into the united states so i think the 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 ultimate objective here for the trump administration or President Trump himself is China. Yeah, you know, John, I hate when you do that because you actually stole my thunder because I was going to say exactly what you said. Oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> we didn't even talk about Which it. Which is, um, you know, I think he needed to get Europe in line so that ultimately they can have a joint operation against the Chinese who are, I think are the biggest threat. And with the Chinese, it's not just about tariffs. It's about what the Chinese do to make sure that none of our businesses can get there. You know, for example, Facebook – can't freely operate in China. Neither can Google. These are our biggest companies. Uh, by, by market share, they're our biggest companies. And you know why the Chinese don't allow them? Because the, Ch- the Chinese are, we all worry about the Chinese, but they can't handle, they can't handle the truth. They can't handle <laughs> Facebook. They can't handle, they can't handle, you know, we have problems with uh, some dissent and, you know, free and, and, uh, expression. If, if they have free expression in China, the whole place collapsed. It's a house of cards. Um, so this is the. You're exactly right. This is about China, and uh, how do we deal with China? And can we beat China in a trade war? Adam, do you, can we beat China in a tra- trade war? I don't know, but I was thinking about that line from the uh, from the Princess Bride. You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia. I will say, John Easton, that the Princess Bride is one of my favorite movies. And you, you know who liked Princess Bride? My son Jack. Oh. Yeah, uh, well, it's required reading in at St. Peter's School, where our, our John and my kids go to school. Is that right? It no. is. Oh, well, anyway, um, so could you answer my question? Can we win a trade war with China? Yes. Johnny, can we win a trade war with China? Long, hard, arduous, and to a draw. I think it's important that we take on China now. I think it's important that we win against China. China has to say, hey, listen – American products are welcome here, and they're not saying that right now. And we got to pound the door down, and we've got to win that war. And I'm glad for the president for doing that. Uh, John, on a scale of one to ten, one being has no impact on the election, ten being it's going to kill the Republicans. Uh, is this tariff? Where's this tariff thing in in, in that scheme? Oh, a two. I say that because the administration has enough levers to play with, so that. 
as you pointed out, with subsidies and, and, and other means that they can minimize impacts of, of some piece of a, of a trade war uh, in various regions of the country. I think it's, it's, it's low in the end. I want to go negative on that scale because I think it's positive. So I'm going to say negative two. Negative two. I think it is. Uh, I am going to agree with Adam Belmar. Uh, it wasn't actually an option that I first gave, but the wisdom of Adam has come through. Uh, this is going to be a net positive for the Republicans uh, after all the Sturm and Drang, uh, and I think it's going to help because at the end of the day, uh, the president's going to cut a deal with the Europeans, which I think is good. Mm. Uh, all right. So, what are you buying or selling, Adam Belmar? I'm buying Facebook. As I think you all should, if you're looking at your 401k and wondering, God, I've missed out on a lot of really good buys, that stock is undervalued. Now, I can't say with the surety of a Wall Street insider that it won't go lower as a result of what's happening now. But if you hadn't gotten in, if you're not John Fury and you hadn't bought early, 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 now I think is a good time to buy, buy, buy. What are you buying and selling, John Eason? You might get to retire soon. Uh, I've already sold the stock because I had to pay bills. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say I thought that was the case. <laughs> and the, the, another note on Adam's buy, if you're buying companies, you know, picking and selling and in your retirement plan, I don't know, you might want to contact an advisor. Uh, that's, uh, that can be kind of scary business. That's good advice, too. Don't listen to Adam. Don't warn any of these issues. I'm going to buy, and I'm going to buy a senator today by the name of Chuck Grassley. By the name of Chuck Grassley, he's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. And it's because I, I read last night, and you can tell what I do sometimes at night, I was reading over a letter that he sent in response to the minority leader, Chuck Schumer of New York. And, of course, Senator Schumer excoriated him for not providing enough documents on the president's nominee to the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh. And if you want to read a, a letter that – in, in a very clear-eyed and sober way, outlines just how transparent the process that Chuck Grassley is leading in the, in the Senate. And I don't, I'm not sure this is even that partisan of a, of a statement here, but the way – it's about a two-and-a-half, three-page letter, and it just, it, just, it just elaborates on exactly why they are going to take the approach that they're taking with his nomination in, in the Senate in terms of the documents being released, in terms of the hearings. And, and in, in case one point he made uh, about Kavanaugh in, in the White House, they are going to release about a million pages of White House documents from Kavanaugh's time in the White House counsel's office. That's on top of the thousands and thousands of, of documents available from his time as being a district court judge. So – and Grassi pointed out that they expect in terms of White House documents – five times the amount – I'm sorry, more documents than the last five justices combined on Kavanaugh. But just to show where the, the, the place where the Democrats are in on this nomination, they're, they're expected to fight this tooth and nail. And so this is part of their you know, battle is to drown this thing in and request for documents. And I think having somebody like a Chuck Grassley that is universally respected respond – you know, in such a way was extremely helpful for not only Kavanaugh and the president, just but for the whole process. You can tell Jack Fury that he's not the only one with a summer reading project. Well, yeah, Jack's got a little bit behind on his summer reading, by the way. Um, I'm going to talking about Jack Fury. I am going to buy the Mamie Johnson uh, Little League baseball team. They beat my son's team uh, in the D D District uh, of Columbia Little League championship game, overcoming um, – and I'm going to brag, two home runs for my son um, – uh, but they were a great team, great group of parents. And why this is important is 
Uh, Mamie Johnson is the first predominantly African-American team from Ward 7 to win a District of Columbia Little League championship, which I said, think says great things about the future of Little League baseball in the District of Columbia. You know, the fact of the matter is uh, little black kids and little white kids play, playing baseball together is just great for the city. Uh, I think baseball is an essential uh, part of keeping America together. Um, and, you know, I just was so impressed by those kids. I was impressed by those parents. I was impressed by their effort. Uh, I was also impressed by my kids in two home runs, but that's, uh, you know. How many yeah. home runs? Good yeah, on two. all of them. Um, good on all of them. It was great competition. And, uh, you know, there's a great sh- a story in the Washington Post today. But cheers to Mamie Johnson. Great victory. And I'm really proud of uh, your effort. And I love baseball. Um, so with that, um, thank you for joining uh, the Fury Theory Podcast brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means? Excellent for business. Yeah, baby. <laughs>